everyone. How you doing? I'm Sue Jeffers. This is the Sue Jeffers Show. Twin Cities News Talk AM 1130 and TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Whoa, have I got a great show for you today. We are going to the Supreme Court and I am so excited. I can hardly stand it. And I actually brought my friend Dan McGrath in. He's also one of the plaintiffs. I'm a plaintiff too. Uh, this is a great case. It is so interesting. Uh, one of our attorneys, Wen Fa, is going to join us at 3.15 and tell us uh, how we got here and what to expect once we get to the U.S. Supreme Court. But I just want to tell you guys that this is about election integrity. This is about so much more than just our First Amendment rights. It's about so much more than just a, a Tea Party t-shirt or a Don't Tread on Me t-shirt or a, a political button. And I was just furious with the media i'll tell you a little bit about that later and of course we have to talk about sex i mean that's all we hear about nowadays uh, the the last couple what is it the last week or so i think last week we spent time talking about um uh senator Schoen and talking about representative cornish well yeah we're going to talk about them again this week too in the second hour uh, we're also going to talk about Al Franken, uh, and and everybody's like, oh man, he's he. We're we're shocked. We're shocked that he's such a scumbag, and and I'm just irritated. I'm irritated by the whole entire thing. I tried to articulate uh, my frustration last week. I'll pile on to that frustration this week. Folks, I hate to break it to you. Al Franken is going nowhere. I wish he'd step down. I wish he'd resign. I wish he'd be forced out of office. And when I see the Pioneer Press running articles about the seven people who are defending Al Franken, I'm just nauseous by that. Because you know what, Democrats and anybody who voted for Al Franken, you had to know he was a smarmy jerk before then. You had to know what a creep he is. And if you didn't, you just had your eyes firmly closed. And shame on you. Shame on you that you left us stuck with Al Franken. And, and not only once, twice. It just, it just, it's just amazing. And I, kudos to Norm Coleman. Kudos to Norm Coleman because he came out and said that photo has to be worth 312 votes. And I just laughed and laughed and laughed because that is, that is exactly right. So in the second hour, we'll talk about uh, some of these accusations. We'll talk about the troubling and dangerous and scary business that we're seeing where all it takes is an accusation and then somebody is tried and convicted and sentenced in the court of public opinion. Uh, it's really scary, people. It's really scary. But we have to figure out what we're going to do about these creepers that we have in the legislature, uh, whether it's here in Minnesota or in D.C., everywhere, everywhere. We're also going to talk a little bit about the sexual assault rally that they had over at the Capitol yesterday. And it was, I don't know, Channel Five said it was 50 plus people uh, they, and, and I'm mad about that, too. And I know people are going to say you're victim shaming because I've already seen it on my Facebook page. No, I'm not. There is uh, a well-funded organization behind this rally, and, the, and it's uh, an attempt to force the Equal Rights Amendment uh, down our throats. They want to try to ha uh, constitutionally amend the Minnesota Constitution, and, and, and that's a problem, too, something that we'll talk about in the second hour. In the second hour, we also have um, Greg, uh, Greg Joseph is going to join us. He's the attorney for some residents in Bloomington. I 
I've told you guys over and over and over, local, 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 it matters. Pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on in your own backyard. Uh, I've talked about so many individual lawsuits, including the one in, in New Brighton last year. Uh, but I'm I'm very thankful for the residents of New Brighton because they are actually trying to petition their government for a redress. And this is super, super, super important because you've got the, the city council in Bloomington coming and saying, you know what? People of, New, uh, people of Bloomington, you're too stupid. You can't figure out which garbage company to use, so we're going to tell you, and we're going to use all these lies to ram it down your throat. And other city councils are looking at this, too. I have a feeling New Brighton's got it on their agenda. And you got to stop them. You have to let the free market handle things, and that includes the garbage in your in your city. So Greg Joseph is going to bring us, uh, is going to join us and give us an update on what's going on with that. Uh, hi, Dan. How are you? Hello, Sue. Doing fantastic. I know. You were so excited you showed up an hour early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the calendar was correct. My brain was not. <laughs> I don't care. I'm glad to have you here. We're going to the Supreme Court. I know. It's pretty amazing. I was just in Washington, D.C. a few weeks ago with Representative Cindy Pew uh, had a couple of meetings to do there. We went to the steps of the Supreme Court building, took a couple pictures, and I had posted something on Facebook with it, like, next time I'm here, I'm not just going to be sightseeing, and it was kind of prophetic, because we are going to the Supreme Court. It's fantastic. I'm so excited. I can hardly stand it. So excited. And, um, I and okay, so we had a press conference last week to talk about it, and Wen Fa is going to join us after, we, we're going to take a break here in a second, Wen Fa, the attorney from Pacific Legal, is going to join us at 3.15, and he's going to tell us about the case, and um, it, I just, I thought it was so, this case has been going on for seven years. Seven years, it's amazing, yeah. Seven years this has gone on. We lost twice uh, uh, on appeal, or, well, once in Minnesota, once on the Eighth Circuit appeal. Yep. And now we do you know how do you know how when Fa found our case? Uh, well, you mentioned, but uh, yeah, reiterate that he, he read about it in the newspaper. And by the way, I already told him you might not know this, Dan, my listeners do because I rail about uh, government overreach all the time. Uh, Minnesota passed a law last legislative session. It was in one of their omnibus health and human service bills it was a bill that was actually forced through a, a part of the bill that was forced through by the health department itself so they make their wish list of everything they want they shove it into the bill and even though it's bad bad stuff people vote for these garbage bills and it requires um owners of daycare centers child care centers uh to have their children ages 13 to 17 fingerprinted and I mean, talk about a violation of your rights. They say it's about safety, and it's not, and the outrage is crazy. So I'm hoping Pacific Legal will take that one next. Oh, yeah. Well, definitely uh, follow up with Wen about that. Wen has been fantastic, a highly professional attorney. and Oh, my gosh. I love him. Very well spoken. It'll be great to have him on the show. He's, he's my new hero. When we had the press conference last Tuesday, all the media was there. And I'm, I'm still furious about the way the, the media handled this whole thing. They, Me too. They do not understand what this case is about. They think it's about T-shirts and buttons, and they try to minimize it and mock it, and it makes me so furious you know there's a reason that cato and the aclu and all these other organizations jumped including pacific legal jumped on board this lawsuit because it is about much more than t-shirts and buttons oh absolutely ultimately what this is about is uh voter suppression and intimidation by 
government officials. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, uh, Dan McGrath will still be with me, and, and we'll also have Wen Fa, the attorney for Pacific Legal, who took our case all the way to the steps of the U.S. Supreme Court. And I can't wait till next spring. We're going to the U.S. Supreme Court. Yes, Woo-hoo! we are. Stay tuned, everyone. Sue Jeffers, Twin Cities News Talk AM 1130 and com. everyone how you doing i'm trying to make arrangements to get uh when to call in here i think we're all on the same page he'll be joining us in a in a second when fa is the fabulous attorney from pacific legal foundation who helped us take our case all the way to the steps of the u.s supreme court and i am so very 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 excited to be heading to the supreme court I think I've told everyone before that the whole reason I voted for Donald Trump was the Supreme Court picks. And I want to see Neil Gorsuch. I want to see Ginsburg. I want to see all of them and and uh, f- and figure out what's going on with that. But um, Dan, Dan McGrath, thank you for joining me today. You Thanks were, for having me. You were part of this all the way back seven years ago. Seven years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in 2010... Seeing that our election officials weren't really doing anything to police um, potential voter fraud in the polling places and with absentee ballots and everything, formed a coalition. Uh, it was Minnesota Majority and Minnesota Voters Alliance and the Tea Party uh, called Election Integrity Watch. And the approach was similar to a neighborhood watch organization, it's just ordinary citizens instructed on how to spot voter fraud and how to report it. And we set up hotlines and we produced these buttons that were Election Integrity Watch buttons that had a phone number on it you could call to report any suspected voter fraud, suspicious activity in the polling place. So we just ask people, when you go to vote, be aware of what's going on around you. If you see something you don't like, let us know about it. And those buttons identified people as people that were informed on how to spot fraud and and other problems in the polling place. Uh, Ramsey County election manager Joe Mansky didn't like the fact that we were wearing these buttons and developed policies to prevent that in the polling place. We weird policies, weird policies that he rushed into place. And we had election judges in different precincts in Ramsey County who were trained different ways. Well, yeah, you have firsthand experience with that, being a head election judge out there in New Brighton. Uh, we were we were kind of flabbergasted that they were considering these pins to be political. And then it was further expanded to things like the Gadsden flag, which is the original flag of the United States. It predates the Stars and Stripes. It's historical. Don't tread on me. Wearing that was associated with Tea Party, and Tea Party was associated with Republicans, therefore is political. And this, if you apply that kind of logic, an election judge can determine anything is political if they just don't like it. If you're wearing an NRA shirt, they can say you can't vote. And if you do try to vote while you're wearing that NRA shirt, you could be prosecuted. Up to a year in jail penalty, up to a $5,000 fine. That's intimidation. That's suppressing voters. That's a judge deciding, I don't like the way you look, so I'm not going to let you vote. That's suppression. Wen Fa is with us now. Uh, Wen Fa is our rock star attorney from Pacific Legal. Hi, Wen Fa. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sue. How's it going? Oh, man, I am still on cloud nine that the U.S. Supreme Court decided to take our case. You are my rock star hero. I cannot thank you enough. Oh, thank you. I, I too, am very happy. I still still feel like yesterday when I sent you and Andy and Dan the text message that said, Mansky granted, and we're going to the Supreme Court. I know. 
I've been flying high ever since. So before we get into the case and before you update everyone on what's going on, do you want to tell us about Pacific Legal and what they do and, and why you got interested in this case? Sure. Pacific Legal Foundation is a non-public uh, impact litigation uh, legal organization that represents clients free of charge in precedent-setting cases for liberty and courts all around the United States. We have a great track record of success, including nine wins in our last 10 Supreme Court cases. And hopefully with this case, Minnesota Voters Alliance versus Nancy, we'll make that 10 wins in our last 11 Supreme Court cases. I'm so excited. I just can hardly stand it. And I've Dan at least stood on the steps of the U.S. Supreme Court. I've I've never even been on the in front of it. Anyway, I'm so excited. I can't hardly stand it. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, and I you know I got I got involved in this case when I actually just read a news article, and I I read a news article that said Minnesota was banning all sorts of shirts at the polling place, including. Chamber of Commerce shirts and AFL-CIO shirts and shirts that don't have anything to do with a candidate or a ballot issue. And I said, this can't be right. In a country with the First Amendment right to free speech, in a country in which your First Amendment rights are valued, this cannot be the law. So that's when I took an interest in the case and got involved and wrote a cert petition asking the Supreme Court to take take the case. And, you know, it's always a long shot with any sort of petition, but I, I'm glad the Supreme Court is interested in this in this case and has decided to review Minnesota's broad political apparel ban. And you know what, when the really interesting part for me, too, is is they relisted it four times, four times. I've never even heard of that. And and when you look at the teeny tiny percentage of cases that the U.S. Supreme Court um, accepts or grants or whatever the tech the technical term is um, to to have it relisted four times and then finally granted. I mean, they just stretched out my anxiety longer. Huh. Yeah, well, it did show that they they had a, a great deal of interest in the case to to spend that much time on it before deciding to uh, to, to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. And for your reader, for your listeners who don't know what a relist is, basically the Supreme Court has so many petitions. Uh, for review that a relist is sort of the first cut. So the Supreme Court relists a bunch of cases that it's, that have made that first cut. It's an initial calling out process. And then after that first cut, it looks at all the cases that it's relisted, checks it to see if the important issue presented in the case is actually if that case is a good vehicle to decide those issues. And, you know, the Supreme Court relisted our cases, our case, Minnesota Voters Alliance for Szymanski, four times. I know it was sort of anxiety producing. It must have been anxiety producing for you just as <laughs> for me because it signaled the Supreme Court's interest in the case. But yet every week we were getting up early Monday morning at 630 at Pacific time when when the orders were released. And every week we would say, oh, let's wait till next week. But finally, this past Monday, the Supreme Court granted the case. And so all that waiting, all that, you know, being on the edge of our seats was all worth it in the end. Oh, totally worth it. So when I'll tell you another thing that that really frustrates me, when you look at a lot of the media in the case, and in particular, when you look at a lot of the Minnesota media on this case, they say, oh, it's just about a tea. It's just about a Tea Party T-shirt. or It's just about a button. It's about so much more than that. Right. It's about whether a state, whether state bureaucrats can tell you 
uh, what and what not to wear at the polling place. It's about whether the state really can prevent voters from wearing shirts that say Chamber of Commerce, AFL-CIO, perhaps even red or blue shirts at the polling place. Uh, Americans have a fundamental right to free speech and a fundamental right to free expression. So when they wear apparel that has nothing to do with endorsing a candidate or a ballot issue, the state shouldn't turn them into criminals. And that's that's the core message that we hope that the Supreme Court understands. And that's what we think will get the Supreme Court to issue a favorable opinion for us next year. So now you think we're going to go to the, well, wait a minute, before before you tell me what you think is going to happen in the spring, what did you think of your trip to Minnesota? Well, Minnesota is a wonderful state. It's really, it's really beautiful. It was great to meet everybody in the Minnesota Voters Alliance and get to talk to them and get to hear their stories. And I know particularly it's, it's something that was really important to me because even though I wasn't involved at the outset of the case, I know that this case, just by reviewing the procedural history, has been going on for such a long time, even for a Supreme Court case, seven years, and then you've been up and down the federal courts, the district court and the federal court of appeals, up and down, up and down. So I'm just really glad to be able to tell everybody in the alliance the good news, and not just everybody in the alliance, but everybody around the United States who believe in their precious First Amendment right to free speech. And it was so astonishing. Our media asked you some of the stupidest questions I've ever heard. <laughs> and I just want to say you were so professional. And I would have looked at him and said, are you seriously asking me that stupid question? And you just looked at him and smiled and went went into a very intelligent response to them. And then, of course, nobody nobody covered it and nobody wrote about it. So it was crazy. Yeah, and you know, I'm generally just like just like you and just like Dan. I'm a very positive person, so I always focus on the positives. And the positives are, you know, we got a case granted by the Supreme Court, which is very, very, very rare that the Supreme Court it gets it gets thousands of petitions every year that a Supreme Court will grant a particular case. So that's that's a huge positive. That's huge for us. That's huge for the First Amendment, and that's huge for everybody across the United States. So. You know, nothing could really get me down at that point. And that's <laughs> not a few questions from, from any individual. <laughs> All right. And what happens in the spring when? What should we look forward to? In the spring, well, nothing has been scheduled yet, but we plan on submitting additional briefing on the case either at the end of this year or at the beginning of next year. And then, of course, the uh, uh, the respondents will file their own brief and then we'll get a reply brief similar to what happened at the petition stage. And this case hasn't been set for oral argument yet, but we expect it to be set for argument in March. And then, of course, the Supreme Court can decide that case, this case, any time after that. So we expect an opinion, I would say, this is all guesswork, but I would say around April or May, uh, the Supreme Court can issue an opinion in this case. And I hope that opinion is favorable and vindicates the First Amendment rights of voters across the country. Oh, me too, Wen. Me too. Thank you so much, Wen Fa, attorney from the fabulous Pacific Legal Organization. You're my hero, Wen, and you've certainly made us proud. And I'm so thankful that our case interested us, interested yeah. you. Yes. Well, well, thank you for working with the Pacific Legal Foundation and thank you for having us on your show. All right. Thank you. Bye. Oh, I love that guy. Don't you love that guy, Dan? He is absolutely fantastic. He's been just so professional. He's He is very well-spoken, articulate, intelligent. He puts the legal arguments together. And uh, you, you'll notice that when he speaks, 
uh, publicly. He he chooses his words carefully, and he's he's very good at his job as an attorney. Oh, I know. Very good. The thing that really gets me about all this, people do not generally consider what they're going to wear when they go to vote. There was a time in the country where maybe people dressed up in their Sunday best to go to vote, but these days it's something you do when you're running errands or, you know, you just got home from work and you're going to run home and get dinner and you just pop in. People aren't thinking about what they wear before they go vote. So if they happen to be wearing that NRA shirt or AFL-CIO shirt or whatever, they're going to be harassed by an election judge that may be opposed to their viewpoint and sees what they're wearing as political when maybe they don't. And, you know, when didn't mention it, but he but I think I did in the opening segment of the show, um, the AFLC, no, the um, Cato jumped on board. Um, ACLU. ACLU jumped on board. They understand how important our First Amendment rights. But the thing that made me so mad was the stupid questions the Minnesota media asked when fall. So here you've got this lawyer who's brilliant and who took our case, put it all together, got it all the way up to the United States Supreme Court, and they ask him ridiculously stupid questions like, well, um, isn't don't you think... Um, well, what did they ask him, Dan? Something about you, how much money. Aren't you worried about the cost of the taxpayers bringing a case like this? I was floored that that question totally. came up. If the government is doing something wrong and we oppose it, we're in the wrong because it's costing taxpayer money. No, the government is costing taxpayer money by instituting unconstitutional policy. Exactly. And, and afterwards, when it was done, that John guy from Channel 11 came over to us, and I said to him, hey, hey, you, you, why don't you go over to the Secretary of State's office there? You can ask, it was right across the hall, you can ask Steve Simon um, about all the taxpayer dollars that he's wasting on violating our First Amendment rights. I go, then you can drive across the bridge over there, and you can talk to Joe Mansky over on Plato Avenue. Do you know where it is? And he looked at me and he couldn't decide if I was like um, seriously mad or if I was just trying to yank his chain. I was mad. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, Dan McGrath and I are going to tell you a little bit more about this case. I'm going to continue to rail against the media because we did see some interesting um, perceptions uh, of the Minnesota media that came out last week. And I think they're entirely too bright and sunny for the way I feel about the Minnesota media lately. So and and we'll talk more about election integrity and our First Amendment rights that that are so important in this case. And I just can't get past it. Yeah, we're going to the United States Supreme Court. We're going to the Supreme Court. Woohoo! All right. <laughs> Stay tuned, everyone. Sue Jeffers, Twin Cities News Talk AM 1130 and And they say you don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You don't pull a mask off an old Lone Ranger and you don't mess around with Jim. I don't everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're talking about our case that's going in front of the United States Supreme Court. And to the caller who called in and didn't want to go on air saying, should you not be talking about this case or any of these uh, uh, details until after it's been ruled on? No, you're not hearing anything new. It's all in the case documents, right, Dan McGrath? We haven't discussed anything that isn't already documented in the case, and our attorney, Wen Fa, is way too smart to let us run around doing something that would damage our case. <laughs> way too smart to ever And Eric Cardall and John. Oh, we have to thank Mormon Eric. And Cardall. And they, they did a lot of the groundwork for this in the Minnesota case and through the course of appeal. So, right. I mean, they're still involved in the case as well. We've got quite a legal team. 
I know. I know. It's uh, Eric was the attorney to start with. He did a fabulous job. Andy Selick over at the Minnesota Voters Alliance. We owe a big thanks to him, too. He's driven. And to you, Dan McGrath, not only for the work you did at Minnesota Majority fighting for election integrity, but even now being with the Minnesota Voters Alliance. uh, Thank you to all of you. Uh, There were a few others. uh, There were quite a few of us that were involved in the beginning. Um, I don't want to say the names out there, except for there was one guy who fills in on my show sometimes. And I wish he was still an active plaintiff now uh, because I know he'd love to go to go hear uh, the oral arguments in front of the United States. Supreme Court, uh, but maybe he can fill in for me on the show on that on that week, and we can call from Washington. Hey, that sounds like a good idea. Tell, yeah, sure. I know. Oh, wouldn't that be fun? Well, whatever. Whenever that happens in the spring, I'll be gone because I am going to Washington D.C. for this. I can't wait. But let's, Dan, let's back it up all the way to the beginning because I don't think people understand these. These election judges were coming after you and coming after Andy and and basically saying, we're going to prosecute you. We're going to fine you. We're going to put you in jail. Yeah, I, I've, I found it absolutely fascinating and ironic that our opposition has been accusing us all along since the beginning of the election integrity program of an attempt at voter suppression or voter intimidation. And we're wearing a button. In the polling place, we're wearing a button that's got a phone number you can call to report suspected voter fraud. We're just trying to do a neighborhood watch approach to making sure that our elections are clean and fair. And they, the government, is threatening voters based upon what they're wearing, what they look like, how they appear, with criminal prosecution. I personally went to vote wearing an election integrity watch button. I was told that if I cast my ballot, I was going to be referred to the county attorney for prosecution, a charge, a misdemeanor charge, with a possible penalty of a year in jail and a $5,000 fine. That is intimidation. I was frightened. I did it because I was asserting my rights, and I knew that I was in the right. So I did it, even knowing that the government could prosecute me for casting that ballot. Andy, Andy Selick was barred from voting at his polling place and kept outside in the cold November day for four hours before attorneys got involved and news agencies showed up with cameras. The election judges there finally relented and let him vote. That's suppression. How many people have time to wait four hours before they can cast a ballot? In the cold, outside in the cold. That's suppression, that's intimidation, and that's by the force of law by the government. And there were other voters who had the same sort of thing happen. We had some of the Tea Party patriots who were um, on board with this case from the very beginning, too. And that, yeah, it's it's just absolutely crazy. And and it makes me so mad when, when they keep saying, oh, it's just about a button or it's just about it a T-shirt. Not. It's about so much more than that. Well, I believe that the Mansky policy was developed specifically to harm the Election Integrity Watch program. Agreed. To prevent it from being implemented and to give election judges, liberal election judges, the authority to harass, intimidate, and threaten voters that they disagreed with on their political viewpoints. 
And and what people don't understand, and when when Fa brought this up in our in our uh, press conference last week too, he said because there are other states that have a law similar to Minnesota, a very overbroad law like this. Um, they, so in Texas, maybe you could be turned away for wearing an NRA shirt, or maybe in uh, Michigan, you could be turned away for wearing an AFL CIO shirt, or like when said when he was talking to us, a red dress or a blue dress. Yeah. I mean, it's so subjective. It leaves it up to the personal experiences and perspective of an election judge to decide what is political. And if you show it a bunch of different nonprofit organizations with acronym names, T-shirts to election judges, I mean, they could maybe identify one or two of them. How are they going to know every organization that has a political point of view? It's impossible. Right. And then, I mean, Nike has political points of view. If you're wearing Nike shoes, I mean, you could be supporting some of their uh, legislative initiatives, lobbyist initiatives. It, it can get really ridiculous. Wear purple could mean that you supported the Viking stadium tax when the, when the stadium right, was right, being right. built. They say, oh, you can't wear that Vikings jersey in or here dur- while you're voting. Or during the gay marriage thing, you couldn't wear rainbows. Exactly. You know? that, exactly. That's another great one. And, oh, we have a caller here. Colin. Hi, Colin. Hey, Phil. Hey, Dan. Congratulations. Thank you, Colin. And, Colin, we should be thanking you, too, because you were an original plaintiff, and without all of us in the very beginning, we wouldn't be sitting right here. So thank you, Colin. Thank you. You're welcome. At the uh, hint of being a braggart, I guess I started the snowball down the hill. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. And, I mean, isn't it frustrating how people try to minimize what an important case this is, Colin? Bill, I think I lost you. Oh. Okay, well, try try to call call us back, and we'll we'll bring you back up again as soon as uh, we. I think he's on his cell phone, and that happens sometimes too. Um, were you going to say something, Dan? Before I interrupted you, <laughs> I just said try not to step on each other when there's three of us on the phone, and then I st- <laughs> I step on top of Dan. No, I think the point was made, and it could go so far as even if there's a candidate on the ballot who's Catholic and you're wearing a crucifix to vote, they could ask you to cover that up or remove it. That is clearly a violation of your First Amendment rights. Right. I think there were nine other states that had uh, that had a similar law to Minnesota's, and you know what? They're just we're going to talk garbage in the next hour where the citizens of Bloomington are suing the city council because the city council forced them to go to a single garbage company in the city. And people are like, oh, that's so dumb. Why are you suing over garbage? Or in our case, why are you suing over a button? It's not that. It's about government power. It's government power coming in. And we should be able to 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 go after our government and say, hey, Time out. You don't get to just step all over our liberties. We have a First Amendment for a reason. It's number one. The government cannot interfere with our right to vote based upon how we appear when we arrive at the polling place. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to tell you a little bit about the the media here. I'm just still so, so disgusted on on uh, on their whole response at the press conference that we had last week. Stay tuned, everyone. Sue Jeffers with Dan McGrath, Twin Cities News Talk AM 1130 and Twin Cities News Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Sue Jeffers, Twin Cities News Talk, 
1130 and Joining me, Dan McGrath. We're talking about how very excited we are about going to the U.S. Supreme Court next spring. This is a huge, huge, huge um, case. It's all about your First Amendment rights. And, I, you know, I told you how Wen Fa, our rock star attorney, um, and he was on with us earlier. Make sure you listen to it. Um, he got us all the way to the steps of the U.S. Supreme Court and what a big case this is and how the Minnesota media just, A, most of them didn't even cover it. You've got such a very tiny percentage of cases that actually make it to the United States Supreme Court. We're one of them. Here you've got plaintiffs right here in Minnesota. Most of the Minnesota media has our phone numbers. Dan McGrath's phone number, my phone number, Andy Selick's phone number. It wouldn't be hard to get Pacific Legal's phone number. You have this giant, huge First Amendment case. They try to demonize it. They try to downplay it. They try to minimize it. They try to mock it. And none of the local media even picks up the phone and tries to call us. You had CNN trying to get a hold of us, Reuters trying to get a hold of us, all these national news organizations trying to get a hold of us. Not the not the media, though. Not the media in our own backyard. No, no, no. Where, where were they? They had their head up their butts asking stupid questions. For the, for the most part, what I saw in the Minnesota press was that they were not telling our story. They were not telling what actually happened. They were using talking points from left-wing organizations, and they were relying entirely just on um, <clears throat> the, 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 the Supreme Court listing of the case. So you're right. They didn't reach out to us. We provided them with press releases. Right, we provided right. them with quotes. We provided them with the story, the history of the case. None of that got covered in the local press, really. I will say the Star Tribune did a better job than a lot of the outlets did. on Star Tribune? Are you kidding me? They ran a, a short version of the AP story. Uh, Star Tribune actually spoke with me and included Ooh. some information <laughs> about the, the origins of the case. But it was scant. Uh, and that's saying, it's not saying much to say that they did it the best when everyone else did it so poorly. Right. If you, you know, there's a reason that you had organizations, you know, the, the, the case is Minnesota Voters Alliance v. Mansky. Joe Mansky is the guy who runs elections for Ramsey County. But there's a reason that Cato jumped on board and the Rutherford Institute and the Individual Rights Foundation and the Reason Foundation jumped on board with us. The ACLU jumped on board with us. You you know why? Because it's a huge, important case. Our own media is too stupid to figure it out, and they didn't even bother to read the case and figure out what it what it was uh, what it was about. You had a big story last week about how all the f- newsrooms and the four big media channels here in the Twin Cities were all run by women. Now, well, women, up your game for God's sakes. Figure out what's important, and when you have uh, people in your own city who are going in front of the U.S. Supreme Court, yeah, that's a major, major, major story. KST, no, NPR came out last week and said uh, 43% of the Minnesotans trust the media to do what's right all or most of the time. 43%. 43%. Well, when they behave like that, what do you expect? That is low, but it is better than uh, the <laughs> approval rating of Congress, isn't it? Well, that's not saying much. <laughs> that, yeah, that's not saying much at all. Uh, all right, let's take a let's take another quick phone call here. This is Donald. Hi, Donald. Welcome to the show. Hey, Sue. Hi. Good to, good to talk to you. First, I want to congratulate uh, Mr. Graw and his organization. They uh, have done well to get this case as far as they have. I know. Uh, my thought, though, is 
it seems to me I'm not really a supporter of the law. That would be too strong. But there is an element that is being addressed by it. For instance, take a look at the uh, Black Panthers standing outside the polling places in Philadelphia. And there's an element of potential corruption and or intimidation at the polling place. This you know, obviously has some First Amendment issues. If this is the wrong way to deal with it, what's the right way? Okay, let, let's first back up a second. Um, the case that we're talking about is actually going into the polling place, and they're telling us that what we're wearing is, yep. is, is, is they have a law on the books that says we can decide what you can wear to go in to vote. So, in other words, they could tell a person with a Tea Party shirt or a ACLU or even a Wellstone, even though he's been dead, or a Black Lives Matter or even a Black Panther shirt, an election judge, the law is so broad, they don't have to, they can, they can tell you to leave for almost any reason that they want to, even ones that Joe Mansky made up. Okay. Now you, you have another issue that you're talking about outside with the Black Panthers who are intimidating voters coming in. That is a crime. That's a, that's a crime too. That's a separate crime. (laughs) That doesn't have anything to do with the expression of uh, political viewpoint. But Uh, but similarly, (laughs) similarly subjective. What is intimidation? Valid point. Valid point. Although I have to say that the, um, outside the polling place, the laws are much clearer. Inside the polling place, you have a very broad law that basically leaves it up to the discretion of the election officials. Right. I agree completely, and it's, mm-hmm. it's so horribly subjective that it's, you know, it's bad law. Just on that basis, I can see that it's just bad law. However, uh, I was an election judge this time around, and there was a gentleman that showed up with a T-shirt that uh, touted some candidate, I forget which one it was, and we just asked him to zip up his shirt so it didn't show. Right. And he did, and he voted, and everything was fine. Yep. But the question becomes, say this, say the, that campaign wanted to intimidate people. They sent people to the polls. They all wore these T-shirts. They know people from their neighborhood. Just being there in the poll can be intimidating to some people. That's true. Is, is that something the law should ignore? Those, and if not, no. what you don't do? need a T-shirt to intimidate people. So those same people could show up knowing the people in their neighborhood and just stare at them, glare at them, make threatening gestures or something. That would be illegal because that's threats. It doesn't matter what they're wearing, whether they're wearing the T-shirt or not, it's still going to be a crime. So in your mind, the the boundary is very, very clear. Well, there is no loitering allowed in the polling place either. You're only supposed to be in there right. as, as a voter for your voting business, and once your ballot is cast, you're supposed to hightail it out of there. Right. And, in fact, you can't even come in with TV cameras. You can't take pictures of your ballot, filled out or not filled out. There are There's law upon law upon law. Uh, a passive expression of a political viewpoint that could be accidental, as I addressed earlier. You don't always think about what you're wearing when you go to the polling place. Right. You could be accidentally expressing a viewpoint, go in and then be harassed and threatened with prosecution for casting a ballot. Jail time? <laughs> That's pretty intimidating. That's the power of government coming down on you, not somebody passively expressing a viewpoint, potentially accidentally or even unknowingly. Thank you, might you, not Donald. realize that what they're wearing that. could be perceived as political. Right, 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 right. You know, I got another problem, Dan, and you've been working for election integrity for so long. On November 15th, they're going to meet and certify the winners of all these races. And what irritates me is 
is they haven't even checked yet to make sure the people who cast the ballots were legally uh, were legal voters, and they're still going to certify these races. Yes, after the races are certified, they will go back through the statewide voter registration system and check to see after. if everybody was eligible to vote. And those people who were found not to be eligible will be challenged for the next election, but their ballot already counted. There's no retrieving a, a secret ballot, an anonymous ballot. There's just there's no way to undo that. That's outrageous. That should be checked. Well, it should be checked before the ballot ever enters the ballot box. Correct. And it's possible to do that. It's much easier to do that now with these fancy new electronic poll books that have been rolled out. And that's something we've been working on since 2010, trying to get implemented. Now I voted for the first time using one, and it is slick. I know. <laughs> I, I got to play on one when they had one over at the Capitol to... Uh, or maybe it was some election training thing I was at. I don't know. But I got to play on one, and it was very, very That cool gives too. us the potential to verify voters instantly on the spot. What We just have to get that into law now because the tools are in place. Right. The tools are in place for that instant verification. I know. I can't wait. Okay. Minnesota Voters Alliance is working on another big lawsuit, right? Yes. Um, the Secretary of State is the holder of all election data. Steve Simon. Steve Simon is elected. He's a partisan. He's a Democrat. And he is now asserting the power to completely edit any information that his office releases on the election results and on voters. He says he has carte blanche to hide things that he doesn't want the public to see. And we're suing for that stuff that he doesn't want to see or doesn't want us to see. Why does he get to hide data? This is akin to going into a casino to play blackjack blindfolded, and the dealer's going to tell you, oh, I'm sorry, you busted, or I've got 21. No, you can't look at your cards. No, you can't see my cards, but you lose. The, the Secretary of State has that power. He oversees all elections. He has all the election data, and he's saying, oh, you can't look at the results. We're, I'm going to tell you how it worked out, and you're just going to have to trust me. Isn't it public record? It is. The Data Practices Act requires. It says all government data unless specifically classified as non-private or as non-public or private is public and we as the public have the right to inspect that data secretary of state resides or his office is in the state office building who owns that building we, we do we own everything that's in that building and we have a right to inspect that data he's now saying that we don't and he's trying to prevent us access to data that is absolutely crucial for outside groups to view for transparency purposes to validate our elections to know with confidence that our election results are what the Secretary of State says they are, and that it's valid and we can trust the system. Yeah. I, okay, so that lawsuit's coming? It's It's been in process, yes. Uh, we're dealing with motions right now, but in the next month, approximately, we'll be getting a hearing on that, and uh, we expect that we'll prevail because the Secretary of State is asserting carte blanche power to conceal from the public data that the Data Practices Act describes, defines as public. And as an elected official, he should be the most transparent person right. on earth about election results because the election results put him in office. Right. How how can he say you can't look at this and we're supposed to just trust him that he was himself? Yeah. Trust elected? me, trust me. <laughs> with 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 no outside verification, one man gets to decide what the public sees about the results of elections.
Oh my gosh, you're gonna have to keep us posted on that. Okay, we're down to about thirty seconds now. Anything any last words of advice or you just promise to keep us posted on all this stuff? Well, we absolutely will keep you posted. We're excited about both of these suits. We think we'll prevail. The the public has a right to this data and the public has a right to vote wearing whatever they want to. <laughs> yeah, what Dan said. All right, everyone, stay tuned. Thank you, Dan McGrath. Really appreciate you coming in. Really appreciate Minnesota Voters Alliance and, of course, the Pacific Legal Foundation. I will keep you guys posted. Coming up next hour, we're going to talk about sex and politics. Yeah, yeah, we are. And we're going to talk about garbage in Bloomington. Oh, lots of stuff coming. Stay tuned, everyone. Sue Jeffers, Twin Cities News Talk AM 1130 and TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com.